Church, we start a brand new series today. So if this is, if you picked, if this is their first time at Meadows or first time watching online, you picked a great Sunday. The series is called Invest in What Matters Most. So with that said, as I say invest in what matters most, what matters most to you? Or I could, I could like get even more specific, who matters most to you? Now, right now, if your spouse or the person next to you is looking at you, like, like wondering what you're going to answer, just turn to them and say, yes, honey, of course you matter most to me. That's the right answer. And maybe it is your spouse, maybe it is your kids, maybe it is a friend, or maybe you're Bible boy number 147, and you're like, God, God matters most, right? Because we're in church, and that's always the right answer. And that's a great answer, because the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything, all that you are. So, yes, he, he matters most, but if you continue that command, and I'll put it up on the screen, the, the greatest commandment, it doesn't stop there. It says in Matthew 22, the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor. Oh, I get it. Okay, so the neighbor is what matters most. That's who matters most. Huh? You're getting closer. Let's keep going. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The, what I'm saying is the most important person in your life is you. The most important person that you can invest in is you. And you might think, oh, that sounds selfish. That sounds terrible. No, no, no. It actually is spiritual. And the reason I can tell you that is because if you're not invested in, if you're not poured into, if you're not filled up, you can't give out. You can't be the person you're supposed to be to your family or to even God or to other people. A battery can't put out what a battery does not have. So we need to love and lead ourselves before we can lead anybody else. And the issue is this. First of all, the, one of the number one ways you can love yourself and lead yourself is to connect to others that are leading themselves. It's huge. We're, you're created for connection. That's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. So with all that said, the issue or the problem that we have, especially right now in the day that we live in, is this. There is a lack of true like relationship, a lack of true like friendship, intimate friendship there is with, with the rise of technology, with the rise of social media, with, with the pandemic, all this stuff. I'm telling you, you would not believe how many times I talk to somebody and we're having a conversation and we're praying together and I'm like, well, you should, you know, talk to so-and-so or who do you have in your life that you can go to? And they're like, nobody. And I'm like, you have nobody? Like, who, who do you hang out with? Nobody. Like, you, I said, you have no friends in your life. They're like, no. I'm like, are you using deodorant? I mean, we gotta, I mean, seriously, is that the issue? Do you have to shower? I, uh, but I hear it more than you, would, than you could believe that, that people don't have anybody in their life that they can go to. The opportunity to connect is there. It's all over the place, but we're disconnected. We are disconnected. In fact, I wrote down, actually, there was a time. Did Ryan make it back? I had a, I had a phone that I was going to bring up here. I don't know where Ryan is. He promised me he'd be back by this time, so he's going to pay. Oh, yes. <laughs> Brett, God's going to bless you someday. You know that? Look at this baby. Anybody remember what this is? <laughs> it's even rotary, right? Who, raise your hand if you ever used a rotary phone. All the old people said amen, right? I'm one of those old people. This is how we, kids, this is how we had to connect, right? Try putting this phone in your pocket. It's not easy. I mean, this baby, like you, yeah, somebody like, I mean, to call somebody, you used to say, hey, Siri, call Jim. You know how we had to call Jim way back in the day? It's like, that's only two numbers so far. 
I mean, it was forever. It was crazy. So <laughs> this thing is heavy. I kid you not. I'm going to set that down so you can see that right there. So <laughs> there actually, here's what's crazy about that. There was a time when we used to have to know phone numbers. We used to have to know them. If, it, like, if you don't know somebody close to you, if you don't know their number, raise your hand. A kid, a parent, you call them, but you don't know their number if somebody asked you. Yeah, me too. Jake, I have no idea what your phone number is. None. And I probably never will. It's like, thanks a lot. So, but I don't. I have no idea. And so that's how we connected is the phone. And I, how many of you still remember your landline phone number growing up? Isn't that crazy? I do too. I lived on a farm till I was 10, 605-528-2288. Moved into town when I was, like I said, when I was 10, that number, 605-425-2352. I still remember those numbers. Even people in my life, you know, that, that, that I still remember numbers like, uh, like Jenny's number. It was 867 You knew Jenny too. That's awesome. Has Jenny got around, but anyway, that don't matter, so that's bad. Don't. Okay, we're in church. Um, you guys, when, the, when this phone rang, of course, the neighbors could, it rang so loud the neighbors could hear it, but when the phone rang, we as the family would rush to the phone because if we were expecting a call, we'd, we'd claw and kill and get there, and, and then if you're talking to somebody, you know, you couldn't go too far, you know, you could get around a corner, maybe shut the door on this thing and get some privacy, but it wasn't easy. You had to stay connected in that way. That's how we had to connect to people. And, it, and I'll tell you this. Like today, when, when your cell phone rings, you're, you're annoyed, aren't you? Like we get annoyed when people call us now. It's like, how dare they call? Why wouldn't they just text? And if someone leaves a voicemail, you're like, who is this psycho? Who leaves voicemails? I have a funny story. I was trying to connect with a gentleman this week. And uh, so I sent him a text. No response. A couple days later, I sent him a text. No response. So then I get a hold of his wife. I'm like, hey, I'm texting so-and-so, and I'm not getting anything. She's like, oh, you know what? Sometimes his texts aren't going through. And I said, oh, okay, I get it. So I said, here's what I sent him. You know, I'm trying to connect. If you want to let him know. And then she, you know what she responded and told me? Well, you could call him. I'm like, wow, people do that? I just sit there and think about it. I guess I could. So I did. It was weird. I, I forgot I could call. It was strange. But that, that, that was all we had. The one advantage to this, I'll tell you this, the one advantage to this that the kids will never understand is the power of hanging up on somebody. It's just so, that, that anger, and you can just slam it, like, oh! You get dumped, you're like, I, I don't want to date you anymore. And you're like, I never wanted to date you either, and your mama's ugly. Uh! See how good that felt? But now with our phone, it's different. We grab our phone and we're like, mm, take that. And then they call you back, I think we got disconnected. You're like, no, I hung up on you. You don't get it. So it was, connection was different. But even though um, connection was different, we have way more opportunities today. You know we do. Social media, all that. We're more connected than we've ever been. But yet we're more isolated than ever. And, and here's the thing, what, what I find, especially with, with um, social media. We find ourselves with our phones now today, like, like looking for these likes. But we're still longing for love. And the more that we look for likes and the more that we're tied to our phone, the worse, we tend, the worse the loneliness gets. So I looked up some stats, some recent ones for this message. According to a recent general social survey, the number of Americans who say, and this ties back to what I told you earlier, the number of Americans who have zero close friends has tripled in the past three decades. So tripled, that's insane. 
It is not good for man to be alone, God said. And we know this leads to depression. We know this leads to anxiety. We know, but it's not just emotional. Look at the next stat. Just look at it. <laughs> Socially isolated people are more than twice as likely to die from heart disease. It's not just emotional, it's physical. I'm telling you, the next time my doctor says, Monty, you should start working out, I'll be like, I'm good, I got friends, I'm good. He'll be like, what? So, I'm all right. So, but it impacts you physically. Look at the last one. 36% of Americans, now this is a current stat, reported feeling loneliness almost all the time or all the time. All the time in the prior four weeks. So in the last month, over a third of Americans said, I, I'm desperately lonely. It gets worse. A startling 61% are young people. Right, 18 to 25. 51% are moms with young kids. They report the same degree of loneliness. Though That is a current 2021 stat. Technology can't replace relationships. We found that out so much so with Zoom and other things. I mean, they're, they're a tool, but they're not the same. Watching online, I love you, but it is not the same. I guarantee you as being in the room. Okay? At the end of the service, we're handing out Krispy Kreme donuts to everybody in here, and you ain't getting none, you see? I'm just kidding. You're not getting them, but maybe someday you will. So, um, technology can't replace it. And if we live through our phone, again, we'll be longing for life. We'll, we'll be going after likes, but we'll be longing for love. It leads me to one of the things I need you to take away. You will never, and we talk about God-given purpose all the time, you will never achieve your God-given purpose ever by yourself. It won't happen. And now what you're quick to tell me probably is this. I'm not by myself. I do have people in my life. But my question to you would be this. Do you have people like, like Jonathan was to David and David was to Jonathan? And you may be thinking, well, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. You will by the time we're done. I'm preaching old school today. We're going back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. I'm going to touch on 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. The first verse is in each chapter. So you can click there, or you can turn there to 1 Samuel 18. And as you do, I'll set it up. And you're like, I don't know where 1 Samuel 18 is. I don't know where 1 Samuel is. It's right, it's right before 2 Samuel, okay? So I'm here to help. I'm terrible. So, but 1 Samuel 18. David, this shepherd boy, has just come on the scene. He has just killed a, a, a giant. Remember the giant's name? Yeah, you see, some of you, you, you paid attention in, in, in Sunday school. Goliath has just been slayed by David. The Bible, when you get into the Word of God, you won't believe some of the stuff that you read. Like, the way this story starts off, I, I'll, I'll actually touch on um, 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to go there, but let me tell you how it closes out. Daniel, or excuse me, David has just killed Goliath. Listen to what it says, 1 Samuel 17, 57. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner, Abner was the general of the army, Abner brought him to Saul, Saul is the king, brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. So David is standing in front of the king holding Goliath's head in his hand. I mean, David really knew how to get ahead. Uh, but anyway, so back to this. Isn't that weird? He's holding his head, and, and, and it's normal. I mean, it's, Saul don't even mention the head, the severed head in his hand. Saul's like, hey, tell me about your dad. How are things? And David's like, well, you want me to, should I do something with this first? Or just maybe set it? It's, it's strange. But it leads into 1 Samuel 18. And this is where we, where we begin our journey today. After David had finished talking to the king of Israel, that's the first king was Saul, he meets Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of the king. Jonathan is the son of Saul. 
There was an immediate bond between these men. Jonathan loved David, and as you're going to find out, David loved him. It was an amazing friendship. From that day on, Saul, the king, kept David close to him and wouldn't even let him go home. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. This is insane. I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. Because he loved him as he loved himself. Do you see that? He loved him as he loved himself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how could Jonathan give such a relationship to David? Because he had a relationship with God. Because he loved himself. More on that in a second. Jonathan sealed the pact of this friendship with David. He took off his robe, gave him the robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So you're thinking, what is that? Well, that's weird. What is the significance? The significance of, of Jonathan giving that to David is this. He's in a sense saying, you're the next king of Israel. Like, like Jonathan should be. Jonathan's the son of the king, the heir to the throne. So the last thing Jonathan would ever want to say is someone else's king besides me next. That's what he's saying here in a sense. Think of the self-sacrificing of yourself and saying, you know what? I can t I'm so close to God, I know that through God, I'm not the next king. I, I know through a human standpoint, I should be. But from a God standpoint, David, you're the man. You're the guy. And he hands this over. He, he, he in, a, in a sense, confers his throne to David. It's so crazy. So I'll, I'll paraphrase what happened next, and then we'll get into the First uh, Samuel 19. Saul's still the king. David is living with, with him and with Jonathan. David starts going out to battles. He's already taken down a giant, and now he's going into battles, and he's successful. Like, he's, he's really winning battles, and he's killing a lot of people, and, and he starts getting a lot of attention, and it ticks Saul off. Because Saul wants the attention on him. He's the king. But David's getting all the attention. So Saul becomes so jealous, he wants David dead. Listen to what he says. This is crazy. So now we're going to First um, Samuel Chapter 19, verse 1. Saul urged his servants and Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan and David are best friends. He tells Jonathan, kill David. Kill, assassinate David. And think of Jonathan. That was his chance to become king. To, to, to say, I'm going to be the king, not, not David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David told him what his dad was planning. He said, he said, David, tomorrow morning, you gotta find a place to hide. You gotta get away in the fields. And while you're out there, I'll ask my dad to go out there with me. And I'm gonna talk to my dad, Saul. And I'm gonna talk to him about you. And I'm gonna tell you everything that, he, that I can find out. Now listen to the conversation that Saul, or that Jonathan has with his dad. Now think about how he goes to bat for David here. Because it'd be so easy for Jonathan to turn on David, which would be a normal thing to happen in this day and age. But listen to what he says. The next morning, Jonathan with his, goes out with his dad, saying many good things about, about David. He, the king, he says, must not sin against the servant David, Jonathan said. David's never done anything to harm you, dad. He's always helped you in any way that he could. Have you forgotten how good he's been? Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill that giant, remember Goliath? And how the Lord brought great victory to Israel as a result? Come on, Dad, don't you remember that? You, cer you certainly were happy for him then. What about now? Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it. So, Saul, so Jonathan's convincing Saul, his dad. You're right. He's reminding his dad of all the great things David has done. He's talking about David behind his back. But he's not, see, there's a difference between talking about somebody behind their back and bragging about somebody behind their back. 
See, you should never talk about somebody behind their back, but you should brag about people behind their back all day long. That's what's happening here. Who are you bragging about people behind their back? I love this. So, so listen to it. He convinces his dad. Saul says, you know what? You're right. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Well, that sentiment lasted about a hot minute. And it wasn't long after that, Saul got jealous again, and he was back to wanting to kill David. And Jonathan's like, oh my God, here we go again. So, so David knows that, that Saul's not giving up on his um, pursuit to kill him. So then they have another conversation. This is now the friends, David and Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, David's talking. He says, Jonathan, show me the loyalty that you talked about as my sworn friend. We made an oath together. Remember that pact we made? Remember that. Or, or if not, just kill me right now if I've ever sinned against your dad. But please don't betray me to him. Do you know how countercultural it would be, or it is, for Jonathan to go against his dad? He's going against blood. He's going against royalty. He's going against all the army, the army that follows Saul. He's going against all that. Why? Because of a friendship to David. And, and, and Jonathan, or David is just pleading with Jonathan. And Jonathan says, never, David, never. You know that if I have the slightest notion that my father was planning to kill you, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let you know. So they, they have one more plan. Jonathan's going to have one more conversation with Saul, his dad. And through that conversation, if, it's, if it turns out that Saul's really committed to killing David, Jonathan's going to let him know. And, and as, I thought, as I read through this, I thought, man, why was Saul so adamant to want to kill David? Like, like, why was Saul, it's like Saul knew something. It's like Saul, and, and Saul, so it wasn't just Saul that was the bad guy. The enemy was working through Saul. The more that Saul would be worldly and be jealous and allow the worldly thoughts to take over, the more the devil could play, play his hand in Saul's life. And that's what he did. And the devil knows there's a calling on David's life. And the devil knew that God wanted to use David to do great things. So I started to research. Listen to, this makes sense now, because you, you, you might be thinking, why? Why kill David? He's, such a, he's a shepherd boy who took down a giant. Big deal. Well, listen to what David did do in the future. David would conquer Israel's enemies and consolidate the kingdom. Ga David would gather much of the wealth used to build the temple that Solomon, his son, would actually build. David wrote the Psalms that the Levites would sing as they worshiped and praised God. He even designed musical instruments that they used to worship him. God's covenant, listen to this, with David would keep the light shining in Jerusalem through the darkest days of the nation's decline. And the fulfillment of the covenant between God and David would bring Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the world. It's no wonder that Satan was using Saul to take David out. I tell you that to tell you that to live your God-given purpose, you need to understand that there's going to be obstacles. You need to understand that it's not going to be easy, that it's not going to be comfortable, that you are going to have a target on your back, that you will be persecuted from all sides of life. But yet Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's worth the battle. It's worth the fight. It's worth the persecution. But think about that. The enemy knew there's something about David. There's something about David. I got to stop him. God's hand is on him. The Bible says that God's hand left Saul. I don't want that in my life. Why would it do that? Because Saul is in agreement with the enemy as he continually works and does things that are apart from God. So, summarize the story. 
Jonathan and Saul, his dad, have one more conversation, and it's apparent. Saul will not stop until David is dead. So, so Jonathan sends a signal to David saying, you need to, you need to run. You need to flee. Get out of here. And they don't know if they'll ever see each other again. In fact, look at one of their last conversations. 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. Both of them are in tears. He knows that they're close and they'll, they'll probably never see each other again. They're in tears. They embrace each other. And they said goodbye, especially David. Notice how in the early part of the story, it said Jonathan loved David. Now, now it talks about David's affection. I mean, they are so tight. They are so close. And, and here's the kicker. David, this future king of Israel, he would never do all the things that I described that he did. He wouldn't do any of those if it wasn't for Jonathan. He would have been dead. That's why I'm telling you, you will never achieve your God-given purpose by yourself. And I know that you're thinking, well, I've got, I've got people in my life, Pastor. I've got my gals. I've got my besties. I've got my BFF. And you're, guys, I've got my bros. I've got my, I've got my golf buddies. I've got my bro. Hey, bro. Bro. I don't know. Whatever. So I just like to say, bro. Turn to your neighbor and say, bro. Right? So <laughs> some of you did it. I like that. So, um, so listen to me. Here's the difference between maybe some of the relationships that you might have with friends and I might have with friends and David and Jonathan. Their friendship was based on a commitment to God. That is a game changer. Their friendship is based on a commitment to God. I wrote this down. Jonathan was so committed to God, he didn't pursue his personal well-being ahead of those that he loved. If anybody should have pursued his own well-being, it would have been Jonathan, the rightful heir to the throne. But what does he do? Because he knows God's plan, because he's close to God, so God speaks to him like he speaks to uh, David, and he knows that David is God's anointed one to be the next king. It's crazy. Is your relationship with the people in your life based on a commitment to God? I mean, I, I've got friends in my life. I grew up in a small town with tons of friends. But my friendship growing up, it wasn't based on a commitment to God. Those friendships, they were based on a commitment to doing really stupid things together. That's what we did. And I've got, I could, I mean, I could, you want me to pick a story? I'll pick a story. One time, me and my friend got in his car, and we were in high school, and we were doing things that you shouldn't do, and drinking things you shouldn't drink, and by the end of the night, we're, we're traveling home. And as we're going home, um, I don't know what, we were messing around with something, it might have been a cassette tape we were trying to put in. Kids, a cassette tape, what they are is, there are these little things that we used to, and you kind of like, they, anyway, okay, think, think of a CD. Okay, a CD, a CD was these round things. Anyway, so I don't know what we were doing, but it was a cassette player. And we were messing with it, and he veers kind of off to the side of the road and nails a mailbox. It wasn't just any mailbox. He picked the biggest one in the tri-state area. A mailbox surrounded in brick. Like the little piggies ain't blowing this one down. It, is, it was so solid. Smashed the front of his car, smashed the entire windshield. So, he, so luckily the car still ran, and it's me and him, and I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get in trouble. So he's got his head out the window, driving like this, and it's not good. And I'm in the passenger side, like pressing the windshield, going up and down, because it, it's just shattered. And I'm like, you got to get us to town, you got to get us to town. And we get about two miles from town, and the car just quits. I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to get out of here. And my friendship to him wasn't based on a commitment to God, it was not. And I'll prove that to you in a second, because all of a sudden the first car that we flag down is a cop. How lucky are we? Ah, help! All of a sudden, it's a cop. I'm like, oh my God, we are going to get in trouble. So my buddy gets out to talk to the cop, and another car uh, pulls up as my other friend, and he says, what's going on? I said, I, I, said, I don't know, but i got to get out of here. He said, jump in. So I jump in, leave my buddy with the cop, and take off. That's how good of a friend I was. Friend of the year, I was not. So it was terrible. But my commitment to him wasn't based on a friendship committed to God. And it was obvious. 
It was terrible. So here's what I would ask you. As you think about the friends in your life, the relationships in your life, even the people, maybe the relatives that you live with, does Jesus ever come up in the conversation? Ever. This is convicting for me too. Is Jesus ever mentioned in the conversation with your close friends? Do your friends even know if you have a relationship with Jesus? Do they know you do? Do your friends know that you're like right now watching a service online or you're at church right now? Have you invited your friend to church because it's so, you're so passionate about the Lord and passionate about the bride of Christ and what God wants to do in and through you? Do your friends know that? Here's a question. Do they love God, your friends, or the circle of influence? Do they love God more than they love you? Jonathan loved David, and Dave, or they loved each other, but they loved God more. You can see it in the story. Do your friends love God more than they love you? Here's another question. Do they encourage you? And right now you're thinking, okay, I can check mark that one off. I got friends and they encourage me. Like the other day, we were at the bar and I didn't think I could do it. My friends were like, come on, you can do it. Drink, drink, drink. That's not the encouragement I'm talking about, okay? That is, let me finish. Do they encourage you and grow your faith? That's the key. Do they encourage you and grow your faith? That day in the field when they embraced each other, Jonathan and David, they would meet at least one more time after that. 1 Samuel 23, I'll read you the verses. One day near Horesh, David received news that, guess what? Saul's still trying to take him out, still trying to kill him. The agenda hasn't changed. Jonathan went to find David. And listen to what he did. Listen to this. He encouraged him to stay strong in the faith of God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan said. My dad, he's never going to find you. Listen to him. Speak life into him. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I'm going to be right next to you. You're going to be higher than me. I'm going to be the second fiddle, and I'm okay with that. I'll be next to you. As my father saw, he already knows this. That's why he's going after you. I'm telling you, that is huge. He, he encouraged David. He believed the best about David. You need people believing the best about you. I wrote down, believing the best about people brings out the best in people. That's who you want around you. You will never achieve your God-given purpose by yourself. Why? Because you need people to pray for you. Say pray. You need people to push you, say push. You need people to encourage you, say encourage. That's what you need right there. You need people to pray for you, push you, and encourage you to grow your faith. I could have finished it with that. Your friendships, and this is why you'll understand the title of today's message, Friendships and Future. Your friendships, they're going to determine your future. I promise you. They will. Your friendships... Don't tell me that Jonathan didn't determine David's future. David would have been a dead man. You'd never hear the stories about all the things that I read earlier about David's accomplishments if if him and Jonathan weren't tight and there for each other. It's that big of a deal. And I think we miss this. Anything good, like, like me in my life, I'm telling you, anything good that God's done in my life have come through others. Others that are seeking God. Others that are encouraging me, pushing me, praying for me. My, my group that I'm in with these guys, we call it a purpose group. That's our discipleship process that we go through. And uh, if you missed that teaching last Sunday night, I'm going to keep plugging it because it's so important you understand the vision or the mission and the vision that God has given your church. But on YouTube, uh, our channel, Meadows Church, Pathway to Purpose, watch that teaching. You'll learn about life groups and purpose groups and the difference and, and the pathways that we're talking about. But my purpose group, they pray for me. They push me. They encourage me. You know one thing that I, that I really realized through this group, and I'm not proud to even tell you this, is, but shortcomings that I have in my life, I've learned something about myself, that my biggest enemy 
like other than our true enemy, but my biggest enemy in my life is me. Like the biggest critic in my life is the jerk that I look at in the mirror every day. That is the biggest, I don't, know what, I don't know what it is for you, but I'm learning that about me. And a friend told me once, Monty, if you talk to yourself, or no, if you talk to your friends the same way you talk to yourself, you'd have no friends. And I thought, man, that, that, he was right on. We need, I need to be as good a friend to myself, and you do too, as you are to other people. All of us need someone who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. Sometimes I'll preach a message up here, and I'm like, oh my God. I'll get off the stage, and I'm like, God, Father, I am so dumb. I said like 14 stupid things. What, what's going to happen now? You know, and I'll be beating myself up, and, and I'll ask my wife, Jody. I said, Jody, and, and she's always my biggest encourager. She's like, oh, honey, you did great. I said, what about all those stupid things? She said, yes, they were dumb. Don't do that again, but you're doing fine. You know, she just encourages me, and she's my biggest encourager when it comes to um, just my calling and, and the, our family and all that, and, and I need that. And you need that. We need that in our lives. We need, you already know you need that. So, so who do you open up to? And, and I'll tell you this, like the group I talked about, the purpose group, we get very uh, intimate and very um, transparent. I mean, we can tell pretty much anything. But you shouldn't do that with everybody. I, I, my guideline is, with everybody you should be authentic. In a world that's full of fake, in a world that's full of masks, and, and people that won't show you their true side because they don't feel safe to do it. I'm telling you, you're at Meadows Church. You can show us the ugly. You can show us the parts that you don't want to show anywhere else. This is a church where it's okay to not be okay. Because I'm pastoring and I'm not okay. So welcome home. This is your family. But I'm telling you, you should be, you should be authentic with all people. I wrote this down. You should be authentic with all. Transparent with most. But vulnerable and intimate with just some. Just some. Okay? That, that's, that is important that you know that. And, and your, the advice that you take from other people, because you, you can get advice anywhere you want. Go on Google. Go on social media. Everybody wants to give you their opinion. Everybody wants to give you their advice. The advice that you want is from, like, David gave Jonathan and Jonathan gave David. You want, advice, you want godly advice. You want godly counsel. So, so here's another litmus test for your circle of influence and your friends. If they're not in the word of God, I don't know what kind of advice they could give you. You can't get godly advice, advice from somebody else if that somebody else isn't in the word getting, getting it from God. You can't. So that is something else that the people that speak into you, and then are you in God's word as you speak into others? Are you giving your opinion or God's word? Because they can be really different, and mine can be too. So, and that, this is why I love the church so much, and this is why I'm so proud of you for being here. And even you watching online, maybe you, you couldn't get here or whatever the case is, but, but the fact that you're listening or watching right now, the church is, should be the greatest encouragement and life builder in your life. Listen to Hebrews. The author of Hebrews in, in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways. Now they're talking about the church. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So they were motivating. We're encouraging. Let's not neglect meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another. Say encourage. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of return, of his return is near. We don't know. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. But, but, the, but what we're hearing here is when we gather together like this, there is power in that. There is motivation in that. There is encouragement in that. We need each other. We won't achieve our God-given purpose by ourselves. I need somebody. You need somebody that's going to pray for you, that's going to push you, that's going to encourage you. 
Jesus needed it, and he was God. Jesus needed the 12 disciples. Did you know that? He needed them. He needed them to fulfill his purpose. That's crazy to think that Jesus needed anything. But Jesus was fully human. Remember that when he walked the earth. He needed the 12. And not only that, but he invested in the 12 heavily. So that was his life group, we would call it, the 12 disciples. But then Jesus had a purpose group that was even tighter. Peter, James, and John they got to see things that the other nine didn't get to see and do things the other nine didn't get to do. That was his, his purpose group. And here's, here's the kicker about Jesus investing in them. He invested in them even though he knew that Peter would deny him, Judas would betray him, and people would leave him. And what did he do? He invested in them anyway. Why? Because his commitment wasn't ultimately to them. His commitment was to his father. And because the commitment was to the Father, by default, he is going to pour into them. He is going to love them. He is going to be there, pray for them, push them, encourage them, like we're talking about. This is what Jesus did. He remains loyal to the end, even the day before he died. He's loyal to the point of getting on his knees and washing the feet of a guy that's going to betray him. And then washing the feet of a guy that's going to deny him, not one, two, but three times. And he washes their feet anyway. Why? Because of his commitment to God. And if you're committed to God here, you'll be committed to others here. But if this isn't right, remember, if you don't invest in this first, this will never be right. And if you're wondering why this is all jacked up in your life here, and in your life here, and in your life here, it's probably because this isn't right here. And this is where it starts. The most important person in your life is you. I think about that foot washing scene of Jesus, and it makes me think about camp and Jake. And that's one of the first stories he shared. Both Jake and Abel went to youth camp. Both of them uh, were impacted by it greatly. Here's the picture, and just leave it up there for a second if you would, because th this is Jake and Aiden. Aiden is, goes to Meadows Church, but Jake doesn't know Aiden that well. They weren't friends. They don't hang out. They just went to camp together. So when Jake got to camp... He wanted a room with a guy that he knew or guys that he knew. Of course you would. Who wouldn't want to? You don't want a room with a, some strange, weird kid that who knows what he does at night. I don't know what he's doing. So, you know, you want, you want someone you know. But they're like, Jake, sorry. The, the camp is um, already determined. The roommates are already determined. You're rooming with Aiden. So here we got David and Jonathan. I mean, Jake and Aiden. And they're rooming together. And now they start staying up late and, and learning more about each other and sharing stories, and, and forming a bond. And then later in the week, when, when camp is getting clo close, to, close to closing, the counselors and the leaders get to this day. And they say, hey, if you want to wash somebody else's feet, they didn't force them. Whoever want, feels compelled to do that by the Lord, you can step forward. I'm telling you, you don't wash someone. The only reason you're going to wash somebody's feet, there's two reasons. Either number one, you lost a bet, okay? Or number two, the Lord is moving. Jake, you didn't lose a bet, did you? Okay, then the Lord was moving. So Jake was one of the first kids to step forward and said, and he walked up to Aiden and said, I, I want to wash your feet. And it, you, you can see just a, a, a glimpse of what was happening, but it was so much more than that. I'll guarantee you, now, if, if, if Jake would have probably got his way, like I said last week, I don't know if he would have gone to camp. He had to be pushed by dad and mom, right? We pushed him. We encouraged him. We kicked his butt out the door to go, get out of here. So that's what we did. But, but he went to camp. And then he had to be pushed by a leader and say, sorry, Jake, you can't room with so-and-so because you already set up with Aiden. So he had to be pushed. He had to be encouraged. He had to be prayed over. 
Do you think he was grateful a few days later that he was pushed to be in a room with, a, a, with a, a, now a friend, now a good friend named Aiden? Why do I say all that? If you want God to do something new, that was something new. If you want God to do something new in you, and I believe that you do, I believe that you do, you can't keep doing the same old thing. See, I believe with all my heart that you, you are one connection away. You are one David away. You are one Jonathan away from changing the direction of your life forever. One away. One away. David didn't have a clue that Jonathan would be the man that he was. And Jonathan had no clue either. And neither did Jake, and neither did Aiden, and neither do you. This is why, this is why you'll hear us always talk about group. Always will. I was just, just talking to Tamara on her way, and I said, Tamara, you got to stop by the life group table. You got to. And she's like, I want to get connected. I'm like, yes. Why do I say that? Because I, well, it's my job as a pastor to get people in groups. No, it's not. It's my job as a pastor to lead people to Christ, equip them to live their purpose, and teach them to do the same with others. You won't do it by yourself. And when you say you're connected to people, are they praying for you? Do you talk about Jesus? Are you talking about God's word? If the answer is no, then this is for you. So the table out there, it shows them all, and they're broken down, men's, women's, young adult, whatever. So, and you can text this to 474747, life group, all one word. We'll connect with you that way. The number one thing that people will say if they don't want to get into a group is they'll say, I don't have the time. I get it. We're busy. But only as busy as you need to be or want to be, I should say. You, you don't have the time. You have to make the time. Like with anything important. You know that. Yeah, I don't have to tell you that. You get that. But the enemy is going to want you to say, no, no, no. You'll meet people and there's going to be some weird people. And there will be. This is Meadows Church. There's weird people here. Look who's talking. So anyway, so, but just like camp, you got to be put in environments. God, you guys, I, here's what I wrote. I said, I said, pastor, I, I, I typed it myself, pastor, you tell them the benefits and show them the importance. A life group is going to connect them to God, to others and their purpose. It will allow you to build a relationship, safe relationships, where you can confess to others, you can pray to others, you can encourage others. You can celebrate others. Somebody walked in here and you're wondering, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't you answering my prayer? God, why am, why am I still struggling in these areas? Maybe you're struggling with God not blessing you because you're not celebrating the blessing that he's doing in somebody else's life. How could Jonathan celebrate David? You're stealing my throne. All the power that comes with that. What did Jonathan do? He celebrated it. You're the guy, David. My dad's not going to get you. You got this. Who does that? Well, apparently, Jonathan did it. And it changed the world. It changed our world because of it. I, I thought about what stories could I tell you? There's so many. With groups, it's, it's insane. I was talking to Sarah, our worship leader, and we're going through the message. And he said, you know, the very first group I got into over four years ago when I moved here from Sioux Falls was, was Pete's group. And in Pete's group, a guy named Brandon showed up. And Brandon didn't start coming to the church. And Brandon, you know what they start doing in the group? In, in life group, they start praying, because that's what we do. We, we pray, we push, we encourage. We start praying for a guy named Blake. Blake is Brandon's brother. 
Well, God answers prayers, and Blake starts coming to group. Blake's not a believer, not on board with Jesus, not on board with church. But the power of prayer is pretty powerful. Blake shows up at group, ultimately shows up at church, ultimately gives his life to Jesus, ultimately gets baptized, ultimately gets called to then be part of a church that we're sending and that we're planting called Crossover in Bennington, ultimately leaves his, his house, moves across town. That's not convenient. It's, not, it's nowhere close to anything else that he does, work anything else. It's less convenient, but moves there to be part of a church that he wanted nothing to do with. Okay, that's what God does. You know where Blake was this past weekend? He was at a conference that he paid for out of his pocket to learn how to use his gifts and his talents so he can honor God and reach more people for Jesus. How does it started in a group with Pete and Sarah and Brandon, and then Blake showed up. God had no idea. Or God had an idea. Blake didn't. I had a woman reach out last week struggling. I'm so proud of her for reaching out. Desperate. And, the, and one of the first things, she goes, what do I do? What do I do? Can you, give me, can you give me a scripture? And I said, yes, I can give you a scripture. You know, can you, what do I, I don't know what to do. And, and you know what I asked her? Because I know she was part of a group. I said, Are you, have you been going to your life group? She goes, I haven't been there in a long time. I said, you've got to get back to your life group. You've got to get back to your group. But like with a lot of people, she's pulled away in many different directions. And I said, come back to center. I'm not going to point you somewhere to waste your time. Your time's valuable. Get back to your group. Sure enough, Wednesday night I get a text from the group leader. And she's like, this was the, one of the most crazy, amazing groups we ever had. So-and-so this, so-and-so that, and so-and-so was back. And I was like, yes. God, I love when you give godly direction and people will step into it. Oh, what will happen if you step into a life group? What will happen if you sign up at a table? I hope you go out there after the service. People want to meet you there. I hope you text life group to 474747. I hope you invest in what matters most. It's you. You'll be surrounded by people. I mean, I'm telling you, connection, you're one connection away from changing the direction of your life forever. What matters most to God you. Isn't that crazy? Well, I don't know if you want to speak for God. I think, oh, I think I can because I'm not speaking for him. He said it. I love you so much, I'll send my son for you. If God will invest in you like that, shouldn't you invest in yourself? Monty, why do you speak you that way? Why do you speak that way in the mirror? Is God speaking about you like that? Why do you speak that way about yourself? Why do you put yourself down? God is in love with you. Yeah, you make mistakes. He knows that. But he makes all things new. So God invested in you. So much so that he sent Jesus to die for you. That same Jesus that washed feet. That same Jesus that walked on water. After that feet washing episode, the next day he would get crucified and he would die. For you. Why aren't you investing yourself the way that God invests in you? God invested. So Jesus dies on a cross to take away our sins. This, this is what we believe as Christians now. And this is going to separate us from any other religion. So, and this is, this, if you don't do anything else, God, sell out to this. That woman who died yesterday, the first thing I asked her daughter, you could, while she was still breathing, does she know the Lord? Does she know Jesus? Nothing else matters. This world doesn't matter. She's dead today, and she's in heaven for, for trillions of years. Your, your, your way to heaven isn't your good works. 
It isn't how good you are. It's, it's, it's your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. If you have faith to believe that Jesus was dead on a cross, faith to believe that three days later, a man who was dead brought himself back to life to give you life, to connect you with others, to live your purpose. Will you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? If there's hope in that and he can do that, he can change you. He can resurrect you. He can make you new. But he wants to do it through somebody else. He wants you to live your prayer. You got to be connected to others. But for the gospel, like we just declared, that's you and God. His grace covers your sins. Watching online, this is for you too. This is for you too. Indicate in a comment that you believe in what was said here and we'll connect with you. Indicate on your card that you're saying, I believe that Jesus was dead. I believe he's alive. And I believe if I put my faith and trust in him and ask him to forgive me, he will. And he will. And you're saved. And then as you're saved and he lives in you, he'll start to help you live differently. That it, it, it's gradual in most cases. But that's what he'll do. Mark it on your card. By the way, our next baptism is September 11th. I'll talk about it more next week, but I'm just getting excited thinking about it. Because September 11th, a day that's known for death, we're going to flip the script. Okay? Because why would we define a day with death when Jesus redefines everything that he touches? And we're going to say that's not a day of death. That is a day of new life. I cannot wait to baptize. Well, baptism happens once you're saved. So giving your life to Christ, having faith in Jesus that he was dead and alive is your first step. Got it. So I'm going to close with this. If you are struggling, trusting maybe in what I said there, trusting that, that a life group is something that you're supposed to do, trusting that God can even move in your life, that he moved in David's life, he moved in Jonathan's life, maybe you're, you're just struggling all around trusting God. Well, I, I need you to know something. The God of David and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Abraham, the God of Jonathan, that God is still a God who, who puts pathways into seas. It's still that God. God is still a God who opens blind eyes. God is still a God who opens deaf ears. God is still a God who makes the sun stand still. He's still a God who turns water into wine. I came to tell somebody that you have a God who is still a God who moves mountains, but he needs you to have the faith to believe that he can do it. Do you believe? Shout it, you believe it. Give him a praise if you believe it. I'm telling you, if God did it then, he'll do it again. I love when you shout. I love when you praise God. Reading the Psalms right now. I'm convinced the Psalms would not exist if Prozac was around. My God, David had to be bipolar. So anyway, it was, he's up and down. God, why have you loved me? God, I love you. God, where are you at? God, you're right here. I mean, he's crazy. But anyway, they're beautiful. But in the Psalms, I forgot what I was going to say, but it was really good. So, oh yeah, he, he talks about shouting to the Lord praising God. I love praising God. I love getting loud for him. We'll shout our head off at a baseball game or a football game, but get in church and be all, I don't want to be that church. I want to shout for Jesus. I want to pray for you. God, I'm excited about this series. Come back. It's going to blow you away. The stories that are in the word of God that we're going to unpack through this series, they'll change you. I don't want you to come to church to take more of your time or that's what we do on Sunday. I don't care. I want you to come and become a part of the body of Christ and watch you change forever. 
But that change will only happen if you step in. What step will you take? The table out there with life groups? Sending a text? Marking a card? God, I hope you make a step. God, I hope you take a step. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for including this story in 1 Samuel. Including the story, this 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 love story between these guys that had such a tight friendship that family wouldn't get in the way. Trials won't get in the way. Callings won't get in the way. They were so determined to help each other succeed. God, the truth is most of us, if we're honest, we've got somebody in our life. There's somebody. There's a friend. There's a, 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 a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a a brother, a, a spouse, a child. There's someone probably in most people's lives here watching online. My question isn't that. My question is, are they somebody that is really pushing us in a godly way? Are they speaking your word into us? Are they praying over us? Are they encouraging us in the ways of God? Do they love you more than us? Oh my gosh, those are some challenging questions. Father, guide us. The next step that you're calling somebody to, I believe the Holy Spirit will speak like he always does if we will listen. Have your way. Do what only you can do, Father. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for new life that we have in him. God, we're going to praise you more today. We're going to give you glory today, and we're going to thank you every step of the way.